February 4, 1975. This news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. Captain Incredible? You know? Everybody talks about uh, Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel was really an establishment captain. Uh, for those of you who uh, are really into comic books, all of you, uh, you know, the trouble with most uh, aficionados is that they're not really aficionados. Oh, yes. Most of them will go around and talk about Captain Marvel. Why? Because Captain Marvel was popular and made it. Did you know that uh, Captain Marvel followed... A, uh, a really hip captain uh, who he was a bad pale copy of called Captain Incredible. Yeah, you don't know about him. See, pioneers never make it. He's in that great limbo of the undiscovered. Oh, they'll discover Captain Incredible. Okay. How many of you know who Tommy Terrific was? That's right. So if, you, if any of you come along here and say, Ah, oh, Shepard, I don't remember any of good stuff. Don't kid yourself, Shepard. Everybody, everybody, there isn't a man alive whose head is not filled with that kind of garbage. Now, some of them don't admit it. Uh, there are those who flaunt it. But there just ain't none of those who are exempt. <laughs> Why, every one of us, our head is filled with thousands of secret images of uh, Andy Gump, uh, Mutton Jeff, Yes, Terry and the Pirates, Don Winslow and the Navy, Etiquette, <laughs> Dondi, all that stuff is piled up in our head like some giant compost heap, incredible compost heap. Would you uh, please give me a little echo chamber, please? No, just a little echo chamber there. 
<laughs> I just can't help it. <laughs> I'm laughing at the joke. Charles, what does he mean by the joke? He hasn't told the joke. Madam, I'm laughing at the ultimate cosmic joke. And if that joke has to be explained to you, you'll never understand it. You know, I, I, I give thankful, I give real thanks to the to the people who are earthbound. I honestly do. Like the other day, I'm talking to Jim Murray, my friend, and I said, Jim, you know how lucky we are? Jim says, yeah, I do. One of the few truly knowing men. We stood there for a minute and looked out over the sunset going down over the Jersey wasteland. He says, you know, you got to be thankful times, don't you, Jim? He says, yeah. He says, you know, it's like my friend Murray. I said, what about your friend Murray? He said, well, my friend Murray used to come to me once in a while and say, Jim, I just got to give thanks for all those people out there that keep everything running so that guys like me can just float around and do our thing. And so tonight, let us give thanks as part of our vast public service programming here. Let us give thanks to all the earthbound people who run the used car lots and keep the streets paved and, and uh, operate the machines and, and uh, run restaurants and all those things that none of us would in our right mind ever want to get near. Let us give thanks for all those earthbound types. What do you say? I mean, we got to have them. we just got to have them. Now, I think that we're the crazy ones, obviously. And we think they're the crazy ones, obviously. But let's put it on this premise. Nobody is. And let's further amplify that by saying that anyone who believes that life is any more than a brief, transient, very brief, transient dream is in real trouble. Do you agree? right. So you drift around. And you look at things. And there's moments when you got to give thanks for the guys who don't understand that. Keep the streets clean and the roads paved. Keep the gas tanks filled. I mean, what point would it be for us to become romantic about the great trains of the West? If there wasn't some hard-working foreman laying the track, who did not see it as romantic, he saw it as an eight-hour job. And it was his dedicated desire and his eternal dream to keep every tie between Phoenix and Salt Lake City replaced. I gotta give, gotta give thanks, right? I have to give thanks to the guy that uh, keeps the guy wires tight on the antenna out there, the transmitter. A thankless job. And I'm thanking him right now. <laughs> I have to give thanks to, 
Tell those guys that uh, are really serious about reading the grid drive meters on the buffer driver stages here at the transmitter and are really worried about whether or not the uh, final uh, the final plate anode is going soft. And you didn't know that there were such technical phrases, but we know them, don't we, of course. Indeed. Let me tell you, there's nothing worse than a failing grid drive, friends. You may have that problem yourself and not know it. That's right, you ought to have that grid meter plugged in and find out how your drive is going. See, that's one of the things I like about electronics. It's all out front. It's all hanging there. Oh, yeah, they have stages called driver stages. They have stages called uh, oscillators. They have stages called buffer stages. Then they have things called buffer doublers, even buffer triplers. They have various types of oscillators. Try that, Hartley. You agree? Unidyne. Oh, now we're getting a little esoteric here. And then they have those final push-pull amplifiers, those final Class C, Class B, Class C1, Class B1 stages that lay it out. That's the power, boys. That's right. But what do they need all around them? Buffers. Drivers. What is a buffer stage? Have you ever thought of your life uh, and, and life itself as analogous to, a, to an electronic transmitter, a transmitter that you're listening to right now? It has all these stages, I'm telling you. I'm really telling you about it. And these stages do not try to pretend or anything else. You'll never find the driver stage saying, to hell is. I'm going to take over. I'm going to be the final amplifier. It may have momentary illusory ambitions, but it, it stays right there in its socket. You'll never find a buffer stage. Say, buffer, buffer, schmuffer, I'm tired of this. I want to be the original oscillator. I want to begin the whole thing. I want to be the germinal seed. I want to generate a 710 kilocycle signal. I want to be the oscillator. No. Only a few are are born to be the original oscillators that started off. Do you agree? For every transmitter, the vast transmitters that bring you channel 2, channel 9, out of that whole fantastic panoply of equipment, there's one oscillator. <laughs> that starts it all. Do you agree? Now, we're simplifying it very much, but there is one, only one. You have a loving in there. It keeps that crystal warm. And then there are those buffer stages, those doubler stages, those driver stages, those synthesizers, and all the rest of it as it comes down, filtering through stage after stage of life until finally that great big chassis at the end, those two big final amplifier tubes. And that's what they got to use in the big stuff, friends. If you think they got transceiver, if you think that we've got solid circuit, uh, a final here. You just don't know much about electronics, right? He's thinking about that. <laughs> we, do not have a, we do not have a solid state final. Solid state's all right for lightweight stuff. You agree? But when you get down to putting out 50,000 watts of RF, oh, sir, you got to call in the big boys with the fans blowing on them, with the water running through them to keep them cool. And then, ultimately, that antenna sticks up in the air. The antenna is the final disseminator, the radiator. 
See, a transmitter doesn't have an antenna. It has a radiator. We tend to call it an antenna, but it's not. It's a radiation tower. A radio, a receiver has an antenna. I'm laying some uh, fine distinctions on you. <laughs> an antenna is something that accepts a signal. A radiator is something that puts it out. Now, they often look alike from the lay standpoint, but they ain't. Two different functions. Although they sometimes double. I mean, if you're running a transceiver, you use the thing to receive and transmit. Although that's, we're getting into side issues there. We don't want to get into side issues. Not at all. <laughs> I'm laughing at the ultimate gag. Oh, yes, life can be parallel. Oh, yes, and what have you got? What have you got running the whole damn thing? You got the oscillators, you got the buffers, you got the doublers, you got the driver stages, you got the final amplifier. What's running all of it? The power supply. Now, the power supply is this great big unromantic thing. <laughs> this big powerhouse, this big thing that puts out, say, uh, 5,000 volts or 10,000 volts sometimes, even as high as 15,000 volts at one or two amps. Uh, it lays that great big heavy voltage on that final plate. And it provides all these other little voltages. It provides the voltage for the oscillator, which is a subtle one. It provides the voltage for the buffer drivers. It provides the voltage for the synthesizers. All the stages, all the way up. But it's there, that great big power supply. Now, you know what that power supply is analogous to in our life? The Arabian oil reserves. Did you ever think of this vast oil complex as the power supply of the world. Now, if some fink gets a hold of the power supply out at the transmitter, it's all over. Do you agree? Nothing comes out. Now, a fink could get a hold of the buffer doubler stage, and it would still work up to a point. Oh, yeah, you could, you could, you could, you could jump that buffer doubler. Sure you could. You could link... Uh, I could go out and do it myself right now if I wanted to. But there's no way I could fake that power supply. I could even fake the oscillator, believe it or not. Yeah, I know, I know, I know techniques. Oh, yes. I could wind a couple of coils right here sitting in the studio. I could knock together a little tri ten oscillator. Take me five minutes. Now, we may have a signal that would wander all over the dial, but it would be on. <laughs> Which reminds me, speaking of wandering signals, this is WOR New York, and I suggest you stay tuned for the following beautiful commercials. There are ultimate power supply in today's life. E.M. Frimbo is in love. He's lost his heart to a sleek, handsome creature who's sometimes fast, sometimes slow, occasionally on time, but usually late. He can't get her out of his mind, even though her weight is measured by the ton. Because E.M. Frimbo is the man they call the world's greatest railroad buff. And he has 2,334,000 miles behind him to prove it. Miles spent with some of the world's most urbane people in some of the world's exotic spots. Miles, you can share in All Aboard with E.M. Frimbo, the new book by Rogers E.M. Whitaker and Anthony Hiss. The Chicago Tribune calls it a book that's been properly described as one you wish would never end. While the Washington Post advises, go buy it. All Aboard with E.M. Frimbo, with 16 gorgeous line drawings from Grossman Publishers. A division of the Viking Press, 895 at your bookstore now. All aboard with E.M. Frimbo, non-stop reading. 
Someday you'll Oh, come on, sing it, gang. Let's hear it. Someday you'll Someday you're going to... You're just going to give in. Sooner or later. Sooner or later. With so many new kinds of tires coming out and so many claims being made about tires, maybe you're a little puzzled about making the right choice. Well, we have the solution. Just go out and buy General Tires. That's all. You know, sooner or later you're going to do it. The General Tire Specialist, he'll help you put the right tires on your car. If you need new tires, he'll be glad to spend a few minutes explaining which General Tire is best for you, your driving, and your budget. Your General Tire Specialist is one reason why, sooner or later, you'll own Generals. Look them up in the yellow pages. Sooner and sing it out. Sooner or later, you'll own Generals. Sooner or later, you'll own Generals. Dance With Me, Broadway's new madcap musical, scored a big hit with the critics, but audiences love it even more. With a cast of bright, energetic young performers, Dance With Me proves that the good old days are here right now, and tomorrow will be even better. It's one of the most exciting shows of the current season. Martin Gottfried from New York Post called it a fascinating show, exciting and original. Kevin Sanders of ABC TV said it was sharp as a razor's edge, bubbling with energy, and the most intriguing show on Broadway. Marilyn Stasio of Q Magazine found it an utterly mad, crazy, funny trip, and Bill Glover of Associated Press called it hilarious and dandy fun. Joe Franklin loved every minute of it and said it was the first smash musical of the season. Brendan Gill of The New Yorker said, go see it. It's filled with tuneful songs and the rapid rhythm of today's living. See Dance With Me at the Mayfair Theater, 46th Street, west of Broadway. Phone reservations 391-0063. It's another great day for tennis at the Royal Biscayne Beach Hotel and Racquet Club on Key Biscayne, the Caribbean island in Florida. The sun is shining, the temperature is perfect, and the cool tropic breezes are sweeping across our ten cushion surface courts. You can play all day, and at night too. Take lessons from a pro, and join a round-robin tournament. There's more than tennis at the Royal Biscayne. There's swimming in a freshwater pool, dining in three gourmet restaurants, nightly dancing in romantic evenings. There's golf on 18 championship holes nearby. And all the excitement of Miami just a drive away. The Royal Biscayne Beach Hotel and Racquet Club. It's the perfect vacation for tennis fans and their families. For information, see your travel agent or call Royal Biscayne toll-free at 800-325-3535. That's 800-325-3535. The Royal Biscayne Beach Hotel and Racquet Club. When it seems to be all over, you still can start over living. One day at a time. Hello, my name is Patty Jacob. A few years ago, my husband and I wrote that song. I've since dedicated it to the Leukemia Society in memory of my husband, Bill Jacob. Bill died suddenly and unexpectedly at the age of 40 from leukemia. It's to those families who have lost a loved one and to those who are now facing such a loss that I make this personal appeal. You know the value of time. You know that one more day could bring the answer, the cure to this disease. Let your dollar buy the most precious gift of all, a little more time. One day at a time. For 
for a new look at a new day. Tune in tomorrow morning and every morning, Monday through Saturday, for Rambling with Gambling. My name is John Gambling, and along with my morning crew, we try to find out what the day is like and tell you about it. That's every morning, 5 a.m. till 10, right here at WOR, the talk of New York. But, uh, I, I, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I, I could get the, uh, very, uh, very, uh, drearily, uh, and sentimentally philosophical. Have you ever thought of philosophy as basically a sentimental concept? It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you get sentimental. Yeah, romantic, yeah, about life. Uh, life is life. Uh, I have to quote Gertrude Stein. A frog is a frog is a frog. I mean, you remember when she said that? Oh, Gertie, of course. Had this friend that made this uh, pothead uh, fudge. Yeah, she had marijuana fudge. Yeah, Alice B. Toklas. Well, that was a swinging crowd. Yeah. All right. She, she also made uh, marijuana fondue. It's kind of nice. Yes, uh, she had uh, she had a meringue pie, and the meringue was laced lightly with cocaine. Mmm, make your hair stand right up on end there. First pie eater in town. I got busted three ways. That's right. From Sunday. So, uh... <laughs> I I, uh, I had this friend, you know. You, you learn when you're when you're into electronics. You learn a lot about life. Oh yes, you mess with the power supply, friend. It's lethal. Not many things in life are really lethal. I mean, uh, instantaneously lethal. Even a gun, you can often survive. But you grab a hold of the two wrong things in a power supply that's dishing out fifteen thousand volts, two or three amps. And uh, I can only tell you this: it's a very quick trip to Bellevue. <laughs> now, uh, so when you're when you're dealing with these things, I suppose at a, at a tender age, you begin to have a tentative view of existence. Now, uh, yes, I think most people think uh, a power comes from little D battery cells. You know, this is what they call power. Well, have you ever tasted? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little uh, give you a little test tonight for those of you who are interested in in actual listener participation, and you like to try a little scientific test. Take a battery, any battery. You got a battery around your house? You know, take a take a little D cell or a C cell, uh, one little pen light double D battery, something like that, because they're all the same in this respect. And just take take this battery, hold it in your hand, look at it. Most people have no idea how this thing lights a little light bulb. Why it does it? <laughs> it's a battery. That's why. I thought it does it. It's a battery. Well. That's a pretty complicated little thing, this battery. You take this battery out, see, and it could be taken as, in a sense, a microcosm of all the world's oil problems right now. You know, of course, that once the battery is run down, that's the game. You realize that. Unless it's a rechargeable battery, and even that's an illusion. There's a certain finite number of times you can recharge it, and the game is up, as, uh, as uh, Sherlock Holmes says. <laughs> Quick, Watson, the game is afoot. Well, uh, all right. Uh, I can I can say you take this battery in your hand, your right hand. Do it right now. If you got a battery, take it. Hold it with the the uh, positive pole upward. Now the positive pole is that little thing in the middle, that little brass button or a little silver button in the middle of it there that sticks out at you. That's the anode or the positive pole. Correct, him all? Now the case is the negative side or the the uh, cathode. Uh, now. You got these two little plus and positive things. Now you take your tongue. Do this. Just take your tongue and put your tongue on that. Just touch it to the positive pole there. Just put your tongue on it. 
What do you taste? I'll tell you what you taste right now. Do it. You will taste a, 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 a faint, salty taste. In fact, it can be very strong salty taste, depending on how well that battery has been charged. You're not going to get a shock. So don't worry about getting a shock. You will not get a shock. You will, however, get a salty taste. Now, why is that happening? Why is it salty? Is it salty? No, it's not. But you are getting a salty taste. Why are you? That is correct. There are certain electrical chemical reactions taking place in, in your mouth, the saliva in your mouth. Certain changes have taken place, and you have produced a salt, actually produced a chemically uh, soluble and a, a chemically definable salt. And you've done it by completing an electrical circuit. You are part of the circuit yourself, in other words. Now, have, uh, we could go further. You want, you want to do more of this kind of stuff? All right. Uh, <laughs> before we do that, how about some more of these little goodies for you? Millions of years ago, the continents of the Earth began to move, and bit by bit they drifted across the ocean amidst storms and violent earthquakes. Today, in the February issue of Smithsonian Magazine, you can see how the continents got the way they are, as Smithsonian explains in words and pictures the new theories that have revolutionized our view of the Earth's past and its future. The same issue shows the soaring wildlife of the Himalayan mountains, the history and legend of the real Count Dracula, the community of young scientists who find new ways for us to live gently off the land, and more. Month after month, Smithsonian stimulates your mind and spirit with exciting and valuable reading. And a subscription of 12 Smithsonian issues is yours for only $10, including the benefits of an associate membership in the Smithsonian Institution. To order your subscription and associate membership, write Smithsonian, care of WOR New York, 10018. That's Smithsonian, care of WOR New York, 10018, or call Murray Hill 72552 right now. That's Murray Hill 72552. Send no money, you'll be billed later. The next time you're at the Metropolitan Museum, let director Thomas Hoving show you around. You can with a taped tour that he has recorded of his favorite works of art. The tour takes about 45 minutes, but you can turn the tape on and off whenever you feel like it. So your tour takes as long as you want it to. Let's listen in now as Director Hoving tells you about one of his favorite masterpieces, a portrait by Rembrandt called Woman with a Pink. We've all seen her. We've known people like her. We have, I think, met people who have the same look that she does, with eyes that are still entirely alive, with a mind that's about to speak, rather gently, I think. Rembrandt has penetrated right into the very brain substance itself in showing us this glance and this spontaneity. And look at the way the paint has been put on, not only in the flower... There are lots of other recorded tours on Impressionism, Egyptian art, Greek sculpture, 15 in all, and they're available anytime right in the main hall. So come to the Metropolitan Museum and try one of our recorded tours. It's a good way to get to know us better. When a good newspaper starts becoming a better newspaper, you can almost feel it. You can almost feel it in the Trenton Times. Take their new six-column format, for example. Now, six-column format may sound like newspaper talk to you, but it means that the Trenton Times is easier to read. And the easier a paper is to read, the more you'll enjoy reading it. They've expanded the financial page, made the sports coverage deeper and broader, and generally put in a lot of pluses that help pull you up in a world that's doing its best to gunk you down. And you know something? They've only just begun. 
they've only just begun. You'll want to get this paper, the Trenton Times, and it's best to get it delivered to your home. A good paper getting better, oh, the Trenton Times. Brides-to-be and mothers of brides-to-be come to the fair, the W.R. Bridal Fair, that is. Yes, on February 15th and 16th, there will be a bridal fair at the Americana Hotel in New York City. See and hear a beautiful bridal and trousseau fashion show. Consult with a panel of experts on medical, financial, and homemaking matters, as well as wedding etiquette. Also come to win prizes and browse through the exhibits of major retailers who will be there to show their wares. Admission is free by invitation only. You may qualify for an invitation to the fair by going to a participating advertiser's store and registering your name and address and other pertinent information. Some of the stores and advertisers are Detroit Stacy House Furniture, with stores in Comac in Brooklyn, Foremost Furniture Showrooms, 8 West 30th Street in New York, and all Providence Savings Banks in New Jersey. High noon in Gotham City. In a deserted warehouse, Batman and Robin are shackled to a post, desperately struggling to break loose. Inches away, a time bomb ticks ominously, threatening to blow the dynamic duo into oblivion. Suddenly, a crash of glass. Holy breaking and entering. It's Batgirl. Quick, Batgirl, untie us before it's too late. It's already too late. I've worked for you a long time, and I'm paid less than Robin. Holy discontent. Same employer, same job means equal pay for men and women. This is no time for jokes, Batgirl. It's no joke. It's the federal equal pay law. Holy act of Congress. Can we talk about this later, Batgirl? Will it be too late? Will Batgirl save the dynamic duo? Will she get equal pay? Tune in tomorrow or contact the Wage and Hour Division listed in your phone book under the U.S. Department of Labor. Okay. Now, I'll tell you other, other, little, uh, other little things that, uh, uh, that show. That, of course, I, all I'm saying here is that this battery, people, a lot of people have an idea, I'm afraid... Uh, I don't think many people, very early, now I don't know why this is so, when I was a kid, uh, a little kid, sitting in a classroom, now I don't even remember what grade I was in, but we were taking a course called geography. Did you ever take geography when you were a kid? All right. So we had this geography book, and it was big. All geography books are larger than most other books because the maps are big, you know. So we had this great big geography book and these great maps and stuff in it. And uh, the geography book was divided up into various sections of the world, like uh, uh, Northern Hemisphere, uh, Southern Hemisphere. And then uh, uh, within that, they'd have all these divisions, you see, like uh, Asia and Africa and so forth. And uh, By the way, do you know what I bought recently in an old used bookstore? Fantastic book. I take it out and I look at it. It's just beautiful. I bought an 1871 geography book for the fourth and fifth grades. Fantastic. Do you know that you look at an 1871 book, uh, a geography book, and do you realize, looking at this book, they have one map, for example, that shows principal railroads of the United States. It was a whole map. In those days, the railroads were the way people went. There was no point in having a principal highway map. There were no highways. 1871. There were roads around towns, but no highways. And you, you see these little lines, and... Uh, it was vast openness. <laughs> no way, no way to get the most of the country. Absolutely no way at all. Now, of course, they didn't assume that there would be any 
like everybody in life, they didn't assume that there was going to be any future, really, other than the one they couldn't imagine. They couldn't have imagined radio and television in 1871. No way. Now, uh, among other things, they have maps of various states. Well, in 1871, many of the states which we know are states today were Indian territories. And it would be a description of the territory. And there it is. It's written in contemporary terms, see, and what the ter territory was like. And, uh, and uh, there was one line that said uh, they were describing one of the territories. I don't know whether it was the Utah Territory or one of those territories out there, the Colorado Territory. And they were saying that the, that, uh, the, that, the, that the casual traveler, it says, must be wary of marauding and roving bands of, uh, of murderous and often cannibalistic uh, native life. <laughs> now, we, we forget all that, that the people really worried about that. You know? Now, now I, I was looking at the map, for example, the map of Florida, 1871. Do you know that in 1871, no Miami. Miami was not in existence in 1871, just nothing down there. However, do you know that Cape Canaveral was? Cape Canaveral is called Cape Canaveral on this 1871 map. Cape Canaveral. Uh, Lake Okeechobee, of course, was laying there, but it was not mapped. They just had a sort of a vague outline, and uh, there was a note down at the bottom of the map, and it said that the, the areas that were, that were vague outlined uh, were not mapped. Uh, it says no, no map available of the area, except that it was reputed that there were large lakes and uh, this great sea of grass was down there, <laughs> and uh, and uh, they described they described uh, uh, Florida. The description began. It says uh, this this state. It was a state apparently at that time. It says this state is almost completely wilderness, largely unexplored, and uh, in many areas extremely dangerous. Due to wildlife and uh, and uh, the nature of the terrain, they, they, they discussed quicksand and the uh, and the and uh, the Everglades and and you know reading this thing, I'm like, that's fantastic. Uh, just it's a that's not nostalgia, nothing to do with nostalgia. This this has to do and and then you realize that there are people probably who have just died recently who were alive when that book was valid. And uh, inside the textbook, as I, I bought this old textbook, it was just in a pile of old used stuff. It was not in any, any expensive, elegant place. Just a, it was published in Philadelphia. Inside this book, there were pressed leaves. Somebody had pressed leaves in this book. I presume from about 1870-something. There they were. And, and the inner leaf of the, of the book... Uh, has in very faded ink, it has the name of the student who owned it. Now, this student lived, uh, <laughs> and this is what was so, so intriguing to me, the student lived in eastern Pennsylvania. Now, I don't know how eastern Pennsylvania must have looked in 1871, but uh, it just said uh, the name of the student, uh, Agatha something, it was a girl, it said Agatha something, it says eastern Pennsylvania. And underneath it, it had the year written. And the year was 1872. And then there was a parenthesis. It said, March of that year. So that's apparently when she got this book. And uh, 
So I had this, 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 this great book out of the past, and it was a textbook. I don't know of anybody who, who, uh, who seriously collects old textbooks. And to me, that would be more intriguing in some ways and more revealing about a civilization than to collect, say, old novels. I have nothing against novels. As I myself am a writer and have written several novels. I, and, uh, anything but that. But I would have to say it would be fascinating to, to uh, say, for example, oh, and this, this book involved sociology. In other words, it described the natives of the different areas. It described what the Caucasian race was like. It described what the black race was like. It described what the brown races were like. And of course, in 1871, uh, it was fascinating to read what they said about the Far East, uh, which was hardly known in 1871. This was the great, great curtain came down. And uh, they described uh, uh, the rumors of the colorful natives that lived there and the colorful uh, <laughs> enigmatic civilization that they were. And they have pictures of, you know, the usual pictures you see of, of Chinese with, the, with their feet bound and with the long pigtails and that. Of course, in those days, they actually probably were like that you know, with the bound feet and everything in 1871. That's uh, a hundred and some odd years from now, back. And uh, I, I, I never get tired of looking at this thing. To me, it's truly, and the, the maps are beautiful in it. Uh, the, the big, beautiful map. Have I done the uh, second thing? Yeah, the big, beautiful map in this thing, double, double page map, you see. And it's a beautiful map, and uh, maps uh, of various parts of the, of the country and the world. And uh, the maps are all vaguely tinted and shaded. And they were that kind of uh, very delicate uh, engraving that they used at that time. Very elegant to, with the curious flowing letters under it, like Africa, big flowing lines. And uh, I have this whole book. How much do you think I paid for it? One dollar. <laughs> One of the better dollars I've spent recently. And uh, so it's a beautiful book. And... Uh, now I have I have another textbook which I find really fascinating. I have a, a textbook that I picked up in a barn up in Maine, and it was a textbook for kids uh, of uh, roughly high school age, and uh, they call it a secondary science textbook. I guess that was high school secondary science, and it was a science a book, uh, kind of a, a compendium of everything that was uh, that was known in science at that point. Up to that year, it was 1900, this was published, the turn of the century. And uh, they had all kinds of, uh, you could look things up, for example, you could look up electricity. There, were, there was absolutely nothing under radio. I mean, there was nothing. Uh, there was nothing under, uh, under any of the things which we take so much for granted for today. The, the automobile, by the way, was in this book. And uh, it, was, it was described, uh, you know, as, this, as a machine that, that moves under its own power. And apparently you had to actually say that to a person of 1900, because obviously a lot of them had never even seen them before. And they described this machine. There was a picture of one of them. And it was a, an 1893 Duryea. It was a, a machine, an automotive machine, it was called. Automotive machine manufactured by the Duryea brothers of Ohio. <laughs> and here, here was this machine standing there, saying these two guys with derby hats standing next to it. And, of course, that was very modern at that time. Now, uh, gasoline, by the way, was a very, very small paragraph, and gasoline was referred to as primarily a lighting, uh, a fluid used for lighting under certain conditions. 
Uh, and, and, and incidentally, gasoline was not very... Uh, it was bought at drugstores in those days. It says uh, purchased a, a gasoline is sold through most uh, drugstores. And it was used for cleaning and various things of that kind. But uh, you can't imagine going down to, uh, say, your local Rexall and uh, buying yourself a, a quart or two of uh, high test. And uh, yet that's what they did. And a motorist would buy his gas in, in those days at a drugstore. <laughs> you didn't know about that, did you? Well, so when you read these, you know, a textbook of, the, of periods like that, you learn stuff that Henry James never mentioned any of that. He was writing novels at the time. You'd never know uh, from reading Henry James how houses were lit, uh, just gas lights, you know. You'd never know uh, uh, reading, uh, reading, say, Melville of 1871 that uh, the uh, people in those days uh, were worried about crocodiles in Florida. <laughs> and, you, you know, you just wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't get a lot of these things. So, uh, so right now we're at a stage which, by the way, has to be. A hundred years from now, people are going to read our textbooks and say, Isn't, weren't they quite, I mean, they, they, they wouldn't really know about, and there will be things which are in our future, or the future of the race, not necessarily our future, uh, which none of us have any concept of. None. Uh, in, in 1871, for example, the only fuel that was considered important uh, to the people of that time was coal. Coal was what they talked about. And they had big maps showing the coal areas of the world. Uh, oil was used for only very esoteric things, like a lamp. They had a thing called coal oil. Uh, kerosene. They, they even used it a lot for medicines, of course, in those days. They yeah, had pine tar. Uh, petroleum medicines were very popular. People would, medicine, uh, oil would flow out of the ground and they would put it into bottles and sell it with the mystic powers that it has of treatment. And uh, a very, and in fact, I have a bottle of one of those and they call it, uh, they call it Dr. J.M. Arnold's Magic Petroleum Laxative. And uh, what it was was kerosene. You take a little of that, man, you're going to get some action, I'll tell you. But uh, <laughs> it was effective. <laughs> but uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, even as a kid, now I can't explain why this is so. I was a kid, and uh, we had the geography books, you know. And uh, our geography book had a picture. I remember. I still remember how it looked. It was a big double-page picture, and it says oil of the world. You know, it had black spots where oil was. Uh, it showed the oil down in Texas, and it showed some oil over in uh, the Arabia. They, in those days, they called it Arabia. They had oil, or, or the uh, no, they went to Persia. <laughs> so they had they had oil in those places, and they had oil around. And it hit me. I thought to myself, what's going to happen when we run out of it? And I remember asking the teacher, what happens when we run out of it? The teacher says, oh well, there's the the, the oil reserves are so immense. That, it, that we can never possibly run out of oil. And I guess a lot of people still believe that. They all think it's a plot. <laughs> you know, somebody's plotting on them. But uh, uh, there is a power supply, friends, and has a, it has a finite life in that gigantic transmitter that we're talking about. And when, uh, when the overload relays start kicking out, and when your rectifier, your selenium rectifiers, or whatever you're using down there in that enormous power supply begin to begin to have trouble, when they get soft, that's a technical phrase that is used by engineers to denote a tube that is going bad. 
You can't bring them back. Now, the great thing about those rectifiers is we can put another one in. But we ain't making much oil these days. Yeah, that was a long time ago when something made all that oil. We're sucking it up, man. Like Saturday night in Honolulu, we're sucking up them beers. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.